Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And today I'm bringing you three stories, the first with reporter Daniel Rothberg, about a public art piece that also has to do with water in downtown Reno. After that, I speak with reporter Nyoka Foreman about the Nevada Democracy Project, a partnership with PBS Las Vegas that the Nevada Independent is doing with community listening sessions to hear out what the community wants us to be reporting on. And at the end of the show, I talk to Katie Foley, a member of the Indies Revenue Team, to talk about Giving Tuesday. When snow melts, it begins to move. The weight and volume thawed each spring pulls boulders from their beds and knocking rocks on rock makes silt and sand and chips. A stream grows older as rocks get smoothed while rocks grow up by getting smaller and more numerous. Shoved and pulled, sharp edges softened into curves. The muscles of water read in rocks quantity, their contact, piles, height, and shape. This is an excerpt of a poem 5,000 words long that stretches for a mile in yellow cursive along the sidewalks in Reno. To learn more about the poem, the poet, art, and water, I talked with environmental reporter and special projects editor Daniel Rothberg. Hey, Daniel. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me. Of course. We are outside. We're on on a walk right now along the Truckee River. Yeah. And we are walking here because there's a bunch of yellow cursive lining the sidewalk which is an art piece that's just been installed, right? Yeah, it's a public art piece that was installed in the fall. And it's a poem about water and how it moves through the environment from its natural environment up near Lake Tahoe to the more urban environment around Reno. So who is this poem by exactly? This poem is by a visual artist named Todd Gillens, who's based in the Bay Area. And he became very interested in the Sierra Nevada and its place in the landscape between California and Nevada in about 2014. He started working in some of the field stations that the University of California runs up near Truckee, up near Mammoth. And he became really interested in the science of water and the stream ecology and other issues like that. And he decided that he wanted to write a poem and create art about how water runs through the urban landscape. He looked at doing some public art poetry projects in Mammoth. He looked in San Francisco, all places that are connected to the Sierra Nevadas. But he landed on Reno after talking to the Reno Public Arts Committee about doing a project here and started fundraising with the Trekking Meadows Parks Foundation to bring that project to fruition. So it's really been about 10 years in the making. Yeah, and It starts where and where does it end? It's a long, it goes along the sidewalk all through downtown, right? Yeah. Yeah, it it stretches all the way from downtown Reno up to Idlewild Park. And the poem is about 5,000 words. And it's not published anywhere. And the idea, you know, it might be published sort of in, in the future in a book form, but the idea is that you just pick up some words as you walk by um, in maybe 10 feet chunks Uh, as you're walking around the river to just remind you and center you and and make you ask questions about the landscape that you're in and how how it intersects with science and the urban setting and sort of our our daily lives. Yeah, and and when we're talking about, you know, 
water going through the urban environment, which is what the poem is about. What is the poem focusing on, and you know, how does that relate to your reporting as you know, as someone who reports on water a lot? That's a good question. For me, so I think everybody with any type of poem, everybody has a different interpretation and brings their own eye to the poem. The poem is interestingly structured in that, and and this is what Todd told me when I interviewed him, in, in that some parts of it are very specific and clear, and other parts are much more philosophical, metaphorical. But the, the themes that I sort of identified in reading the poem was really looking at time and the ephemerality of water. And I think for me as a reporter, one of the things that I find really interesting is that water is always moving. Like if you look at the Truckee River right now, you know, the water is moving. It, it, it isn't stopped in any one place. And to me, that is really makes water sort of a unique feature in the environment and something that I think about a lot. Sometimes I think we get lost in the policy. Yeah. A lot of what was also talked about in, the, in your piece was science communications, right? Yeah. And I think that's like a big thing, right? You know, you're communicating science through your writing. This is communicating science through art. Yeah. You know, different ways for people to engage in science communications and also, you know, climate change yeah. communications and, 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 and talking about water. Yeah, I'm very passionate about science communication as, you know, as an as a environmental journalist. I see so many disconnects between our natural environment and our built environment and how we relate to both of those. And I think that part of any kind of science communication is bridging that divide and making people see what they take for granted or, or don't necessarily notice every day in their daily lives. And I think art can be a really great way of doing that, whether it's poetry or watercolors or screen printing or photography. Anything that draws in new audiences is really important because art has the power of doing that just as other forms of communication do as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think at a time when our media landscape and information space is really fractured and polarized in a lot of ways, it's important to have media that brings people together and brings in more audiences and, and reaches across different audiences. And that's something that I think art can do really well. So we've been talking a lot about communications and the river and everything, but you know, it's fall, November, I guess it's winter now, I don't know, it's cold yeah. out here. But um, what are you thinking about when you're thinking about the Truckee this time of year? You know, what, are, what should people be paying attention to and thinking about when they think about the Truckee River? You talk to different water users or different scientists along the Truckee River and they would probably give you very different answers. One of the things that first comes to mind is the changing climate. Obviously, that's not something that's going to unfold in, in one year. But for the long term, for the Truckee River, could have serious consequences. Um, you know, this, we just talked about the snowpack and the snowpack is a natural reservoir for our water. It stores water and there's a pretty regulated flow to how, how the water runs off. But as the climate is changing and potentially more snow is falling as rain and the precipitation regime is, is changing, that dynamic and cycle could be changing too. So Daniel, to wrap up, we've been talking about water and we've been talking about this one specific art piece, but let's talk about you know the art in downtown and midtown more generally. Yeah. There's a lot of public art in, in downtown Reno, yeah. right? Yeah, there is a lot of public art in downtown Reno, and I am not the art expert. <laughs> I 
approach the story from a water standpoint more than anything else. But, you know, I, I think just as somebody who lives in Reno and spends a lot of time walking around this area, public art, it really does make you ask questions. It makes you stop and think. It makes you appreciate the place you live in. We often don't necessarily think about the impact of art. We, you know, think about the aesthetics of art. But I, I think art, by its very presence in, in a public space, can have a, have a big impact and make you, you know, think about where you are and ask questions and reflect in a way that you might not if it wasn't there. All right, Daniel, so we're, we're a long part of the poem right now. Why don't you read a little bit of what we're standing at? Okay. Water floating in as rain and snow, running down forest slopes and meadows, deer and cold. All right. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and walking with me along this, you know, brisk November morning. Oh, and hopefully we can talk more about public art and, and, and the, the state of water in Nevada more as, as we go forward. Definitely. Thanks, Jerry. All right, well, I am here with reporter Nyoka Foreman. Nyoka, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Joey. Yeah, and you uh, are co-moderating these forums with a partnership that the Indy is doing with PBS Las Vegas called the Nevada Democracy Project. Uh, Explain to me what it is. The Nevada Democracy Project is a series of community listening sessions that focuses on closing the widening gap in people's participation in politics, policymaking, and civic engagement. And we've already had one of these events in Las Vegas. And we're planning to have more, correct? Right. So the first one was at the West Las Vegas Library. We're thinking that these will roll out quarterly. So the next one will be early February. And when you have these sessions, like I said, we've already had one. Um, You know, what did you hear from the community? Who turned out? So that one, um, we had some elders that started the conversation in the West Las Vegas community, and they focused on the redevelopment of the historic West Side. So they had been there since before the 60s, and William McCurdy Sr., he started the conversation by saying what's been on his mind is redevelopment of the West Side since the 1960s. That led into a conversation about development, redlining, and also getting money to redevelop that area and and then the money being spent elsewhere. So that led to a very spirited conversation. The second speaker was Gene Collins, and he spoke about fighting for redevelopment in the area and not getting the support after so many years. So what was the goal, you know, with these listening sessions? Is it that we're going to start covering these more or is it just so that we understand, you know, kind of what's going on in the communities? You, you, you were, this, was, this was your idea. You know, where did this idea come from? The idea came from listening to the community. As journalists, we are the ones who create the stories and say what's important, what's not important. When we think about communities and their involvement in politics, I think it's good to 
to be on the ground level and hear from everyday people, people who may not be reading political news to see what's on their minds. So that that's where that desire came from. And to bring mainstream news into the community in a way that would foster more trust and understanding of what's going on, what should be covered, um, how to close those gaps that that we see in the political space. I think I was reading a study, you know, every year there's so many studies that come out that's like, you know, the political divide is greater and greater between Democrats and Republicans. But I, I think that also we've seen a political divide in, just in terms of, you know, those that are engaged and those who are just overwhelmed by the amount of politics that's going on. Right. If you're not like keeping up with the news every day and reading every story, then it can kind of feel like impossible to penetrate and understand what's going on in politics. Do you, do you feel like these are going to help, you know, bring those stories to people that maybe aren't necessarily checking the news every day or reading the the digest of uh, of a bill that was going to be presented in the legislature? I think that what these series of events could do is give people options of where to find information. We talked about how the Nevada Independent isn't a household name, and that's something that I think it should be because of how news is told on the, on the website. I think it makes it more digestible. You don't have to read it. You can listen to it. So I think that it can close the gap by building that relationship. And when we talk about minority communities, we have to constantly engage those communities when we're talking about fostering that relationship. What were some of the other conversations and topics that were brought up uh, during that West Las Vegas library discussion? So they did talk about the media and how they felt like the media hasn't done a good job of covering the area, that they were disappointed that a lot of times the media is covering from a negative perspective. We don't need negative press. And, And let me tell you why. All of the businesses that you see in this community right now, it was because myself and other people stood up with the police and fought the bad elements in this community so that people's like the business people wanted to come into this community and you go in, you go in business to make money. You don't go in business to lose money. So we don't have the luxury of some of you all, if you run into a problem, you move elsewhere. We don't have that luxury. If we have a problem in this community, we have to stay here and fix the problem. And that's the reason why that so many businesses are popping up in this community, but we always ran to the press and the press says, oh, West Las Vegas, it's a crime is so bad in West Las Vegas, Then they put up a red line. Then they told developers, don't come in here because it's so bad. Some folks spoke about how the historic West Side is heat vulnerable because there's no plants, there's no trees, but there is a lot of pavement. There is a lot of sand and dirt. The lack of trees, a lack of plants, a lack of ability to absorb things that would absorb water, moisture, heat, and maintenance is that it increases your heat vulnerability, which means that what bounces off the sun comes back. And so in 117 degrees, that's not quite nice. Or in, in October, that has a day that's 92. That's not also nice. Um, and then the bus stops are spaced out. 
But also one young lady, she spoke about education and how she believes as a former educator that children have been so far behind before the pandemic. I think that the pandemic is an extremely um, convenient excuse at this point about why children are behind, um, why test scores are where they're at. And I can attest to the fact that kids in, in our communities have been three to five grades behind pre-pandemic. I don't even want to know what it is now. So there, there, were, there were a few ideas. Another thing that was touched on was democracy being at stake and the importance of holding institutions accountable, holding public systems accountable so that people still believe in democracy and so they are engaged. Uh, our democracy is in a very fragile state right now and not taking away any of the most urgent issues that we hear about from our community members. At our branch, we get stories of uh, infractions from law enforcement who have treated our community members poorly. We hear about families who are being evicted at a most expeditious rate. Nevada has the fastest eviction rate in the country, if you don't know that. We don't have affordable child care. Health care is out of reach for a lot of folks. So there's a lot of things that are falling apart in our system that makes people in my generation and younger not believe that democracy is working. I have conversations with grown friends of mine that tell me they don't see how democracy is working for them. So it was a very um, colorful, spirited conversation. And, and, you know, like you said, we're planning on trying to do these once every quarter. We've also partnered with uh, PBS Las Vegas. You bring the topics to us and we're focused on follow-up reporting after that. The next one will focus more on voting. It's around the primaries. So I think that we're going to see how that goes. All right. Well, Nyoka, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and telling me more about the Nevada Democracy Project. Uh, if you want to find out more, you can go to the website, uh, thenevadaindependent.com. Thank you. I'm here with Katie Foley, who is our Associate Director of Development. Katie, you are on the, the business side of the Nevada Independent. You guys don't end up on the podcast very much, but welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. And, you know, you're you come from a radio background, so you're the podcast isn't too far away from your your history, right? <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, radio is in my history. I came from the revenue side of Nevada Public Radio. So I have a little bit of experience, but I'm definitely not a seasoned professional like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, the podcast is all edited. So if I burp or anything during this, it'll get edited out. So no one will know. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> but uh, we're talking today because uh, it's Giving Tuesday. We've we've got Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I think there's Small Business Saturday, uh, and and Giving Tuesday. Uh, you know, right after Thanksgiving, there's all these kind of days and ways to spend your money. And so, tell me a little bit about Giving Tuesday. Yeah, sure. So Giving Tuesday um, is a really important day for a lot of nonprofit organizations, such as ourselves. It's really a global movement that really encourages people to come together and support causes they believe in. And for us here at the Nevada Independent, it's a day where our community can really come together and amplify their impact on independent journalism. It's a really great chance for you know our listeners and readers to be a part of something bigger and to invest in news that matters. 
Yeah, Giving Tuesdays is like great day, and I think it's it's really important to help us because we are a nonprofit. This is this is how we make our money is through donations from from viewers like you or from listeners like you. How important is it for those small donors and those big donors? How how does that make up the the budget of the Nevada Independent? It's so important. It really does make up a huge portion of our budget, and every donation we receive, whether it's big or small, directly supports our organization and. I know a lot of people might already know this, but at The Independent, we really keep our overhead low. So you know that every dollar we raise really goes back into the work that we do, into the the investigating and reporting. And it really helps us cover the issues that are important and hold those in power accountable to foster a more informed and engaged Nevada. Yeah, you're investing in like, public knowledge and like our work is here to help you and to benefit the citizens of Nevada, right? That's correct. Yeah. Everything we do is for our readers and our listeners. And if you find our content important to you and you find our work valuable, I hope you take a moment to make a donation to support our work because every dollar really does make a difference. So there are so many ways you can also donate to us, right? What are some of the ways to donate to the Nevada Independent to help us, uh, you know, do our work? <laughs> yeah, so you can um, you can make a tax deductible donation through the website. It's super easy and secure. And if you have any questions, I encourage you to give me a call or send me an email at kdcaty at com, And I'd be happy to walk you through it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's that big support our work button on the top right of our website. Um, So yeah, Katie, thank you so much for being on on this Giving Tuesday, for being on the podcast and and telling us how to donate. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. I want to thank Daniel Rothberg, Nyoka Foreman, and Katie Foley for being on the show today. This show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Alex Kuro and Michelle Rindels. If you want to support the show, you can leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and myself. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, and we'll talk to you next week.